So get the Hebrew. Anybody else need a Sunday school lesson? We get everybody. Everybody got a Sunday school lesson, right? Uh, it should say a better covenant. Do you need, you need one down here? Jerry, don't, go get a Sunday school lesson before you get all the way down here. Your wife doesn't have one. There we go. Anybody else? Okay, Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8, we're going to kind of turn a little bit of a corner here. In fact, it, it's, Paul makes that very clear. I, I, again, I think Paul wrote Hebrews. You don't have to agree with me on that. Uh, but the writer of Hebrews makes it very clear that he's turning a corner. Uh, look at verse 1. It's very obvious when you read it. He says, Now the things which we have spoken, now of the things which we have spoken, this, uh, this is the sum. You could say it. Now of all the things I've said, let me give you the point. Right? He's going to kind of, uh, chapters 1 through 7, he set, he set this all up, you know, that Christ is better. He's a better priest. He's a better mediator. Uh, he's better than the angels. He's better than, we went through all that. Uh, and he sets all this up. He said, now, you have got to get the point. Again, he's talking to uh, New Testament Jews who've been, I, I hate to use the word. In fact, in my notes, I, there's an error. Look at my notes. I got I to gotta say something. I'm reading this this morning and I thought, I don't know if that's the right way to say that. Look at the second, look, second paragraph where it starts with the word much. You see that paragraph? Uh, I, I, here's what I wrote. Much like those who've been converted from Catholicism or the Muslim faith or any other Eastern religion, uh, or faiths that differ from practice from the Christian faith, these young ch Christians had changed faiths and were finding it difficult to change practices in forms of religion. I looked at it this morning. I think that's actually, that's not the way I should say that. In fact, that little, I put a parenthesis around where it says change faith. Because technically, did the Jews change faith from Judaism to Christianity? That's not really a change of faith. That's a fulfillment of a faith that's already there. And so in my notes, I wrote this. What did I write this morning? Uh, uh, these young Christians accepted Christ as their Messiah and a fulfillment of the Old Testament and as a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. That would be a more accurate statement. The concept of them changing faith is not true. The idea that like uh, a Muslim that's been converted or like a Catholic that's been converted, the new practices uh, are strange to them and letting go of the old practices are very hard. How many of you have known, how many of you have known somebody, for instance, that has uh, converted from Catholicism to Christianity? You've ever known anybody like that? And how many of you know that that is very difficult for them not to go to mass, not to celebrate um, uh, the Lord's Supper like they did? The formalism of the, uh, the Catholic faith sometimes they wish, a lot of times Catholics will tell me, former Catholics will tell me, I wish we were more formal. And there is a sense, and by the way, I'm, I'm with them on that. I think sometimes we get a little too uh, informal with some of the, anyway, that's just my own personal feeling, not based on scriptural text. But uh, it's really hard for them to let some of those things go. Uh, and there have been people even in my family who've struggled forever with that. Uh, there's, there's that deep connection to their church. I'm not talking about to God or that relationship, but there's a deep connection to their church. The way you were raised, this is the way we did it. Uh, I was talking to Pastor Wall the other day. When I got saved, the church I was saved in, it was almost, um, there was almost a pattern in the church as far as what happened on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. All three were different. Uh, our pastor, believe this, our, our pastor then, I don't know how they do it now at that church, uh, he's still the pastor, uh, some 50 years later, uh, but he would, uh, Sunday morning, you knew if you walked in Sunday morning, that was going to be an evangelistic message. He was going to present the gospel and he was going to hit it hard and he was going to emphasize your need for salvation and your need to Christ. And I mean, it was just a boom, 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 all gospel message. There was going to be a strong invitation. People were going to walk. That was, that was Sunday morning. 
Sunday night, if you came to my home church on Sunday night, what you were going to get was a practical lesson about Christian truth for people who are saved. There's some things in your life that you need to work on. It was always about Christians. And now it's not that they neglected the gospel on Sunday night, but that emphasis was always on uh, discipleship and growth. That was Sunday night. Wednesday night was always a Bible study where he took a passage of the Bible or a certain phrase from the Bible or a certain issue from the Bible like we've been doing on uh, virtues, uh, biblical virtues on Wednesday night. And he, he would preach that kind of a lesson on Wednesday night. I was only in that church for, uh, well, through, through college, about four years. Uh, I got saved right before I, I, uh, my senior year in high school and then through college, I kept going there. But I got so used to that when I got to another church as a youth pastor, it seemed weird for me when a pastor would preach on a Sunday morning and not have a heavy gospel emphasis. I, always, I, I in my mind thought, now I'm wrong on this, but I, in my mind I thought, that's not right. This is how you should do it. Now, by the way, was, was I right in thinking that? No, it's just that's what I was used to. Some of you know what I'm talking about? Uh, that's what I was used to. That was the style I had grown up with. That's the style I was saved under. And anything different from that, uh, I still struggle today. Uh, there's things today that our church does that I'm like, I don't know. I can't say they're wrong. It's just not, can, can I say this and not be, I'm not putting down faith about it. It's just not me. I don't like it that way. I would rather it be this way. Anybody else like that? You, yeah, okay, good. I'm not the only one. Uh, and there's just, a, I was at uh, Eagle Dell Baptist for 20 years and Dr. Defoe, and there's certain things he did that I really liked. There's some things I didn't like, but there were a lot of things that I really, and you know, if, if you don't do it just like that, you're not doing it right. Okay, well, understand that's what's going on, a little bit of what's going on here. And so this change uh, is not so much in the doctrinal statement, it's fulfillment of the doctrine, but it is a change in practice. Understand that in, in Jerusalem, there's still a temple. And there's still sacrifices. And there's still priests. And, all, and you're telling those Jewish Christians, that's been fulfilled. You don't have to do that anymore. Can you imagine? It's Sunday morning. It wouldn't be Sunday morning there. Uh, it'd be the first day of the week. Uh, can you imagine, though, them walking by the temple and their family, their friends going in the temple and, you, and them, are you coming? No, that's, we don't have to do that anymore. You, you, you understand how strange that would feel to them? And so that's why Paul's saying, now listen, you read all this, and I know I've, I've harped on it for quite a few weeks, chapters 1 through 7. But Paul said, now, now that you understand that, let's get to the sum of the thing. Let's get to the point, okay? And that's where he starts here. So uh, look at your notes again at the top there. When we begin our Bible study in the book of Hebrews, we stated that the epistle was written to a group of immature Christians who'd been converted, uh, converted out of Judaism. And again, I don't know that that's the right word, converted. That, I have to, I'm going to have to rewrite this. I, read, I wrote this, and then I read it again this morning. I was like, well, that's not really the right word, but you, you get the idea. The reason the apostle had written this group of Jewish believers uh, was kind of twofold, to give them a more earnest heed of the things which they'd learned, lest at any time they let them slip. The truths that they had learned, they need to remember. By the way, that's all we ever do as a pastor almost. We're just telling you the same truths over and over and telling you, don't let that slip. Keep reading your Bible. Keep praying. 
Keep having faith in God. Keep trusting him. Keep believing that he is good. And, and we, that's our job. And to encourage them to continue to grow spiritually, or as he put it, labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. One of the main problems of those young Jewish Christians were struggling was the concept of leaving the old, customant, uh, the old covenant of Judaism, represented by the law and the ceremonies, for the new and better covenant of Christianity. Understand, Israel had, still has, had certain promises in a covenant all the way back to Abraham, right? Amen? And in their mind, that you were saying to them, don't worry about that anymore. That's the way they looked at it. No, Paul is saying, no, you do need to worry about that. It is valid. It is just being fulfilled in the Messiah has come. And he has done all the things that he said that he would, and, and not all, but uh, all, all the things up to that point in time that were supposed to be done by the Messiah. And you need to trust in that. Those things were not bad. Those things were not wrong. Those things were not, didn't have a purpose. They all had a purpose. They were all a foreshadow or a pattern or an example of what Christ did. And now that is fulfilled. And that message, he's just, I mean, literally hammering it into, you, you go through Hebrews and it's like, boom, boom, boom. Uh, I thought the other morning, I thought to myself, you know, if I ever had the opportunity to sit down with a, uh, an Orthodox Jew and talk to him about Christianity, I think I'd go to the book of Hebrews. I'd say, you know, we need to study through Hebrews. Uh, now, he would not accept that as part of, uh, of God's covenant, but what, you know, that would be a great place to start. Anyway, so I read the second paragraph, and I'm going to move on from that. Go to the bold part there. The, the, those Hebrews, these Hebrews, seemingly could not break away from the Levitical priesthood and the Mosaic economy. Uh, like I said a while ago, the temple was already in, it was still in Jerusalem. The ordinance of Moses had given were still being observed. And it was difficult for them to understand how God would completely set aside the priest. It was difficult for them to understand that God, how God would completely set aside. Uh, that's the way they look at it. That's not what happened. It wasn't set aside. It was fulfilled. Set aside the priesthood, the tabernacle, the ordinances, and raise up a new way. In fact, if, you, if you've done any study uh, through the book of Acts, you know that that was one of the names, right? They called it the way. They were called Christians first in Antioch, but before that they were called people of the way. Now, don't get that confused. There is a way. There is a church today. Uh, I think it's a cult. Uh, you, may not, you don't have to agree with me on that. I, I've, I've learned a little bit about them, and I'm like, eh. Uh, it's called, I think it's called the Way International. Uh, don't go look it up. You don't need to. Uh, they're not, they're, they, they have some, they have some strong evangel evangelical beliefs, which I would agree with. Uh, but for instance, they believe that uh, they believe that Jesus is the son of God, but not God, the son. He's not God come in the flesh. He was born. He didn't always exist. He was born at a certain time and lived a perfect life and was a sacrifice. But I don't know how he did that as a human and whatever. It's, it's really confusing. They, they've got some really confused doctrine. Uh, they, 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 they grab onto some parts of, I don't know why I'm telling you all this, they grab on some parts of uh, Pentecostalism. In other words, one of the first evidences of your salvation as a Christian is what? What would you think the way would say now that I've said that? Yeah, speaking in tongues. Uh, uh, healings, miracles, uh, all that stuff. Uh, they believe that's still performed today. It's a, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a mixture of what we would say is orthodox truth. It's a mixture of what we would say was Pentecostalism. And it's a mixture of what I would say is downright biblical error. Okay. But so when I say the way, then I don't know how I got into all that. Uh, when I say the way, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, in fact, look, uh, uh, I think I put it in here. 
Yeah, look back in Acts chapter 9. Go back, back to Acts chapter 9, real quick. Uh, understand that this is, and I'm, I'm emphasizing this because you've got to remember as an Orthodox Jew, uh, you're still in the Old Testament, and to you, there's no new name for this religion. This change has no name for them. They're not called, it's not called, Paul wasn't saying to them, uh, you need to set aside Judaism for Christianity, because that wouldn't have meant a thing to them. They'd have went, what? That, that, that terminology did not exist. So what you hear for earlier in the New Testament, look at chapter 9, uh, look at verse uh, 1 and 2. And Saul yet breathing out threat, uh, not chapter, is that what I want to be, 9? Yeah, it's, uh, that's it. Saul, yet breathing out threatening slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went into the high priest, and listen to what he says here. And desired of, of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, if he would find any, and now look at the phrase there, any what? He didn't say any Christians, because that title hasn't been used yet. He said any of this way. In other words, a lot, the way a lot of the Jews looked at that. This is a different way. And so that's kind of the title it got. You see it again, look over in, uh, that's chapter 9, look over in chapter 19, Acts, Acts chapter 19. You, you see it uh, one more time, Acts chapter 19, I think that's 21, yeah, Acts chapter 19, uh, let's see, where am I at? Yeah, and after these, verse 21, uh, and after these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through uh, Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. Now Paul is no longer Saul, now he is one of the people after the way. In verse uh, 22 he said, so he went into Macedonia, two of them that ministered to him, Timotheus and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season, and the same time there arose no small stir about what? Again, we would say, in modern time, our time, we would say no small stir about the rise of Christianity. But again, that name hasn't come up yet. In fact, by the way, when, it, when, when you read that uh, they were called Christians first in Antioch. That was not, that was not a compliment. You know why they called them Christians? That, that was to make fun of them. They were saying, you are Christians. You're like after this dead guy. We crucified him. And that's your, your God is Christ. So you're Christians. Well, the Christians of that day kind of liked it. <laughs> and by the way, my God did die and rose again for me. Amen? That's, that, you can make, you're not making fun of me when you say I'm a Christian, and that's the way they looked at it. So the title went from the way to Christianity. So when, a lot of times you're going to hear this, especially like in, in Acts or Hebrews, where Paul's talking about the situation, and he's saying uh, there's no clear title yet. It is not really a title. It is a fulfillment of the Old Testament and the New Covenant, and it is a new and better covenant. You, you with me now? And so go back to... I got off on tangents all morning this morning. Uh, but go back, to, go back to your notes. Go back to, Act, I mean, Hebrews chapter 8 again. Okay? Uh, uh, right in the middle of that middle paragraph again. They could not understand that God had not taken away their hope, not taken away their priesthood, not taken away their prominence, and not taken away their covenant. What he had done is he had fulfilled the old covenant and given them a new covenant and a better way with Jesus Christ as its head. That's the whole, listen. That paragraph, that paragraph you just read, I think that's, that's Oliver B. Green. You like Oliver B. Green? I like Oliver B. Green because uh, he's so simple, so straightforward. Uh, that whole paragraph, if you just take that paragraph, you understand the book of Hebrews. That's, that's exactly what the book of Hebrews is doing. It's written to these Jews and saying to them, no, 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 no. 
We're not saying that doesn't count. We're not saying that wasn't good. We're not saying that wasn't of God. We're saying it absolutely was of God, but it is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's the message of Hebrews, okay? So keep reading. In this chapter, the apostle delivers in the summer, the main point to all these previously stated. Now that Christ has been shown to be greater or superior to the angels, to Abraham, to Aaron, uh, the apostle moves out to prove the new, the new and better covenant is far better than the old covenant or the first covenant. Now, let's read the first five verses. Look at Hebrews 8 again. Hebrews chapter 8. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum, right? I'm summing this up for you. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, where is it is of a necessity that that man may have somewhat to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses admonished of God, as Moses admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. And this, by the way, this quote here is that, that this, where it says the word see to the end of the verse, that is a quote uh, from Exodus chapter 25, verse 40. Now, you're gonna see something beautiful Paul's doing here, especially when you get to chapter nine. In chapter eight, twice, he's gonna take an Old Testament reference and prove what he's saying about the new covenant. Here's an old covenant, Old Testament covenant, whatever word you want to use, it's both the same. There's an Old Testament reference proving the validity of the New Testament. By the way, if you're going to talk to Jews, isn't that exactly what you should be doing? You want to say to them, but the Old Testament says, but your covenant previously said this. It, has, it, it was set up, the Old Testament was set up saying that someday there will be a new covenant. By the way, it, it had to be that way. If in Abraham all the nations of the world were going to be blessed, how did that happen? Where does that come from? When does that happen? Well, it happens when Jesus Christ comes, right? And so everything, what Paul's trying to show them is, hey, look at your own, you say, New Testament's not valid, and some Jews, most Jews today would say that. Okay, but what about what the Old Testament says? The Old Testament is the very validation of the New Testament. It is this, without this, this doesn't mean anything. Without this, that doesn't mean anything. One validates the other. You understand what I'm saying? And so it makes really good sense, this argument. Paul's a genius, uh, obviously, Paul is a genius. Obviously, the Holy Spirit had a lot to do with this, uh, as we know. And so through, through Paul's understanding and the Holy Spirit's work, uh, that's why this was written that way. And so it gets really pretty interesting now. And so uh, look again, uh, second bold paragraph on the bottom of the page. There's been much confusion about the Old and New Covenants. Part of the confusion is due to the fact the word covenant and the word testament are the same word. You can look them up for yourself in Greek. It's the exact same word. It means the exact same thing. When Hebrews 8 and 9 all refer to the Old and New Covenants, the writer's not refer, referring to how we divide the Bible. He's not talking about the Old, uh, uh, the Old Testament, New Testament. He's talking about the promises of the Old Testament and the fulfillment in the New Testament. There are certain promises that God made, and now God is fulfilling those promises. And it's one seamless deal. Right? That makes sense to you? And so that's what he's saying. Uh, keep going. Since the Old Covenant had vanished, many people think the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi, is not for us today. The Bible teaches, however, that the entirety, all of the Scripture, is for us. I, I know churches, and, 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 and you probably do too, I know churches say we're a New Testament church, we don't need the Old Testament, we, we stay in... No, 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 no. No, no, no. The New Testament's not valid without the, the, unless it fulfills the Old Testament. Right? 
You can't have one not good and one good. That's not how that works. Both are good. Both are necessary. You study both. Now, I will admit, I will admit to you in my teaching and preaching, I emphasize a lot in the New Testament. You know why? Most of you understand the, the fact that it's been fulfilled. You just don't, sometimes like me, you just don't live in the fulfillment of it. Sometimes you need to be reminded, okay, that doesn't mean you say, I'm no longer under the law and I don't have to live under the law. No, 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 you don't have to, not to be saved, but to be God-pleasing and God-glorifying, there is a standard. Amen? And a lot of times I find myself talking to me and talking to you about staying with the standard. You say, well, Brother Morris, you don't have to fulfill the law to be saved. No, I don't. But I do have to fulfill the law, and I do have to do what's right according to the New Testament to please God and to be right in fellowship with Him. I get tired of Christians who tell me, well, you can't tell me how I ought to live. I'm not telling you how I ought to live. I'm telling you what the Bible tells you how you ought to live. Right? All those biblical virtues we've been studying on Wednesday nights, you know, Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, uh, kindness, humility, honesty. Those are requirements for a Christian to be in right fellowship with God. Not for salvation, but absolutely for right fellowship with God. Amen? Kind of a weak amen, but I'll take it. Okay? At least it wasn't just one person. Okay, so uh, again, we know the scriptures, all scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and righteousness, Right? For whatsoever things were written aforetime, Paul said, were written for our learning. What is he referring to when he says, whatsoever things were written aforetime? What's he talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament, right? For those things are profitable for our learning. Understand that and comfort of the scriptures that we might have hope. Okay, uh, there's another mistake people make. The belief, I'm on the second page. Uh, they believe that the Old and New, Test, New Covenants were two ways of salvation. I've seen that too. Old Testament saints were saved by keeping the law and the sacrifices they gave. Nope. No, they weren't. New Testament people are saved by grace. Old Testament saints are saved by the law. How many of you have ever heard that talk? I've heard that. That's not biblical. In fact, here's what the Bible says. Keep, keep reading. Uh, they believe, uh, let's see, where am I? Uh, but the Bible teaches that the Old Testament saints were saved through believing the same gospel message that we believe. Hebrews chapter four, we looked at this earlier. For unto us is the, was the gospel preached and if you notice the next phrase, what is the next phrase? Who is the next phrase talking about? As well as unto them. What's he talking about? He's talking about New Testament Christians. He's saying, for unto us, we heard the gospel and it was preached to us as well as to them. The gospel was preached in the Messiah. Faith in the coming Messiah is what saved them. Everything that they did was a foreshadow or an evidence of their belief in that coming. They were saved by faith in a coming Messiah. You are saved by faith in a Messiah who has come and in coming again. Amen? Hasn't changed. Hasn't changed. Uh, read it again. Uh, Abraham, uh, I'm sorry, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as to them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. If, if you went to the tabernacle and you sacrificed, or the temple, either one, you went to the tabernacle and you sacrificed and you followed all the legal law, but you had no faith in it, did that save you? No. Nope. Just like if you go to church today and you read your Bible today and you partake of the Lord's Supper today and you are baptized today, does that save you? No. 
What has to happen? Faith has to be mixed with it. Old Testament or New Testament. Okay, keep reading. Uh, Galatians chapter 3 says this, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That, by the way, is a quote from Genesis uh, 15, 6. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him to righteousness. Know you therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Whoa, so Abraham's children have to be saved how? According to, what's the Bible say? How are his children saved? By keeping the law, right? Is that what it says? No, they were saved by faith. And the scripture foreseeing, okay, think of it this way. Again, think of it this way. Here's Christ come, death, burial, resurrection. We're here. We're not foreseeing. We're looking back, right? We're, we're putting our faith in something that's happened. The only difference is in the Old Testament, they're the same. They're foreseeing something that's going to happen, a Messiah who's going to rescue them. They put faith in him. They did not understand the depth of all of it, but they understood that it was, and by, by putting their faith and confidence in that, they were saved. The obedience to that faith by salvation in the Old Testament was keeping the law and the ordinances. The obedience part, by faith we're saved, but the obedience part is faithful attendance, reading our Bible, baptism, the Lord's Supper. There's ordinances we keep, Right? Nothing's, Paul's trying to show them this. He's trying to make, you get it. They were standing there going, no, it's completely different. No, it's not. It's all Paul's saying. Look at it again. Foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. They could see that back then. Preach the gospel unto Abraham. So wait, the gospel, yeah. Abraham had to be saved by faith too. Okay, uh, saying in these shall all the nations be blessed so that so then they which are of faith uh, are blessed with faithful Abraham. Acts chapter 10, you see the same thing to him gave all the prophets, not just not just in the Pentateuch, but even in the prophets to them. He gave you all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth him shall receive remission of sin. So even the prophet and then, you know what Paul does then? Now he, he sets all this up and now he says, well, let's look at the prophets. Let's look at the Old Testament. Let's see what the Bible said. And that's where he's going with this. So uh, we'll, we'll get to that. I'm probably not going to get to it today. Man, I need like two hour Sunday school. Uh, sometimes it's just, there's just so much. It's, this is good stuff, right? I think it's good stuff. So uh, look, look what Wearsby says. The, the Levitical priesthood ministered according to the old covenant that God had made with Israel at Sinai. The very fact that God calls in an old covenant by introducing a new covenant... I think of that for a second. One's the Old Covenant, the New, or New Testament, Old Testament. Proves that the old Levitical priesthood had been done away with by the cross. To prevent his readers from going back to Aaron in the Old Covenant, the writer in chapter 8 proves the superiority of the New, Customate, uh, New Covenant. We've already proved the superiority of, the new of a priest, right? We've already proved his superiority over angels, over Moses, over Abraham. We were, but even the covenant is better. And I, and I still agree with it. I think that's a wonderful truth. It has been fulfilled. We have visible evidence that they didn't have. The new covenant is better or superior to the old covenant in at least three ways. And this will be our outline for the next few weeks. Okay. As we learned in chapter seven, the new covenant has a better high priest. You read that in verse one, right? Isn't that a beautiful statement, by the way? We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. Wow. That, that's deep. 
Beautiful, beautiful writing, okay? And then number two, the new covenant has a better tabernacle. That's uh, chapter 8. We'll go through the last part of chapter 8. And the new covenant contains better promises, chapter 8, verses 16 through 13, okay? So we know it has a better priest, okay? And by the way, interesting little note here. I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, Go back to verse 1 again. And I want you to notice one little phrase here. Now the things which we have spoken, this is the sum, this is the point. We have a high priest. Now I want you to notice this next three words, who is set... He's sitting on the right hand of God. Why would, that, why would you throw that in? Why would you throw in he's sitting on the right hand of God? Anybody know? Okay, think about how many of you have studied, did a study in the book of Exodus and you've studied the tabernacle or the temple? Okay. How many chairs were in the tabernacle? Think about it. How many chairs were in the tabernacle? Some of you have to think for a minute. You say, wait, there weren't any. That's right. Why not? Because the blood of bulls and goats could never be sufficient to completely remove sin. And it had to be done over. That was a work that was never completed. And now he says, your new priest is seated. Why? Why is that important? Why is it important that a new priest is seated? Come on, you, you can figure this out. You're smarter than me. What's he, what'd you say? Yeah, I heard three people say it. It's finished. It's complete. The work is done. So when you start reading all the, all the words in the paragraph, all of a sudden you go, wait a minute. He's telling the Jews what? The old covenant's not, in, it's not uh, of no effect. It's just been completed. All that work has been completed in Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you something. That's pretty cool, Right? I mean, you read that and you kind of got to go, wow, wow. Holy Spirit did the job there for Paul. Uh, so he makes that the sum of all things. Uh, the very, go down to the bottom paragraph. Uh, Dr. Stover said this. This is an amazing statement. The tabernacle had very few articles of furniture therein, and most assuredly, it did not have a chair. Uh, and that's true. Uh, there was no need for a chair, and as much as the work of the priest was never done. His was a continuous work in the tabernacle. I've always, often thought how horrible that would be to be a Levitical priest Walking through the desert, moving and carrying and setting up the tabernacle. And then can you imagine? I can't even think about that. Literally for millions of people, probably a minimum of one million people in the wilderness. I think it was much more than that. I think it was more like two to four million people. We can debate on that, but you can't argue it was less than a million. And you had to set sacrifices for that many people, even that many families. You think that was ever, I mean, it was just a ridiculous amount of work. This stands in direct contrast to the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. His work is a finished work. The very fact that he was exalted to God's right hand and there sat down is eloquent testimony of a completed work, a work which has put away sin once and for all. By the way, where's that phrase come from? Well, that's Hebrews chapter 10. We'll get to that also, okay? In Christ we have a high priest and such a high priest as no other people ever had, no other age of the world or of the church ever produced. All others what but types and shadows. There's four, there's four words you'll read in Hebrews that are good words. Type, shadow, uh, pattern, and example. Why do you think Paul has to use all of them? <laughs> He's using all of them to say, look, 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 nobody's saying that was wrong. Was was the, was, the, was the shedding of blood in the tabernacle useless? No, it was a type of something that was coming. It was to show you what was going to happen. What about the washing and the labor? 
Well, that was a type of something. Uh, all the priest robes, everything that they did so meticulously had to point to something else. It wasn't about how the pomegranates fit on the, it's what they represented, right? Everything represented something. The colors of the, uh, uh, of the skins and the coverings and the tire, all represented some truth. And Paul's trying to get them to understand. It wasn't about the color of the beaver skin or whatever skin it was in the tabernacle. It was that color represented royalty and the royalty is in your priest king who has come. And he's trying to get them to see that now. It's just like, I've done this a lot of times with people. They'll say, I think I need to get baptized. And I'll say, well, why do you need to get baptized? So I can really be saved. No, no, no. You get baptized as a pattern, as an example, as a shadow, right? Of that which has already happened. The death of Christ, you're going down the water, the burial, right? Put you under the water and the resurrection, that's why we do it. That, that's why we don't sprinkle. Okay? That, that, you understand? We're showing you a biblical picture of something. It is a pattern, an example of something that has happened. And all Paul's saying in the Old Testament, all of this, all of this was leading to here, to him. And he's making this picture where they can't hardly miss it. There were types and shadows. They were incomplete. They didn't do everything. It's done now. Amen? Okay. All right. So, uh, hmm. I'm going to go ahead. Okay. <laughs> so the new covenant has a better tabernacle in a better place. The subject of better tabernacles is, we'll, we'll talk about that in chapter 9. But let us note here that the new covenant has a better tabernacle. That tabernacle is in a better place. By the way, anybody know what the new tabernacle is? Body of Christ. Where is it? In heaven. You got a little bit better shot here than they had. The first tabernacle was built on earth. Although its design came directly from God in heaven, the tabernacle in the wilderness and the temple later on served only as a type, a shadow of the true heavenly tabernacle. The original earthly tabernacle and temple were but copies of the heavenly tabernacle. Moses copied the tabernacle from the pattern God revealed to him in the the mount. Exodus chapter 25 through Exodus chapter 40. The Jews revered their tabernacle and its furnishings and its ceremonies. And by the way, it was beautiful. Okay. And they should revere it. But the tabernacle is not salvation. Just like today, I think we have a lovely church. We have a great, I love our church. I love the new facility we have, newer facility. I guess it's not brand new anymore. But this is, this is not our faith. Right? This, you understand, this is just a building. Should it look nice? Should we furnish it well? Should we make it so people want to come? Absolutely. But this is not really the church. Where's the church? That's us. Right? When you start putting the two together, Old Testament, New Testament, it starts making a lot more sense. You go, oh, okay, I see that now. Okay, so hopefully they'll get it. Yet these things were only shadow of the reality in heaven. To go back in the Old Covenant meant forsaking the realities of heaven for earthly imitations. How much greater is to have a heavenly priest ministering in a heavenly sanctuary? So Paul's saying to them, listen, you have the real thing now. They had the shadow. You had the real thing. Why would you leave the real thing and go back to the shadow? That doesn't make sense. Amen? So we'll get into this a little bit deeper next week. Uh, sometime, if you have a chance this week, I know I'm running out of time. If you have a chance, look at the next page. I'm, I may not go into this next week, but on the next page, I've just put, next two pages, I put a little list of things, uh, how well Paul used the Old Testament. 
Okay, and I just took chapter 9 and did it. I didn't take the whole, I thought about doing all of Hebrews, but I'd have been here all day uh, trying to get it. So you'll see on that, I think it's the last page. It's not that page, it's the last page. Uh, on the last page, uh, there's a list. Look at Hebrews chapter 9, just real quick. We've got two minutes. Uh, look, look at, these are either quotations or references that Paul uses from the, New Test, from the Old Testament in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 9. You see that list there, Exodus, 2 Chronicles, Numbers, Leviticus. He goes back to the Old Testament law and he pulls out all these examples. We'll talk about Jeremiah 31 uh, next week. But he, he pulls out all these biblical examples, right? And he says, everything I'm talking about in this new covenant is a fulfillment of the old covenant. And then he starts using and quoting. Talk about a beautiful, unbelievable move by the Holy Spirit using the Apostle Paul to put this down. And he's, it may not mean much to you, but if you only believed in the Old Testament, boy, talk about a convincing argument, right? Over and over and over and over. By the way, it also says something, I don't have time to bring this out this morning, but it also says something about the wisdom of the Apostle Paul. Remember, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew the Old Testament. And he didn't eject the Old Testament. He didn't, eject, he didn't reject all the knowledge he'd gotten from the Pharisees. No, he disunderstood it now. And he said, this, I mean, this is better than that. Who better, think about it. Who better to write this than the Apostle Paul? Amen? Let's pray. Dearly Father, Lord, we're so thankful for these simple truths. We're thankful for both testaments. We're thankful for both covenants. We're thankful for the sacrifice of Christ and fulfilling it all. And we pray, Lord, you help us to live a life that glorifies and honors him. Not because we have to, but because... We want to because we have such a great love for what you've done for us. And as we see that played out in the scriptures, I pray, Lord, to continually uh, be a wonderment and a joy to our heart, not only to believe it, but to share it and tell others about it. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right. You're dismissed. Worship service will start, start shortly.